Well, Happy New Year and welcome to The Messy Table, where life is not perfect, but God is constantly at work in our mess. I'm Jen, the host of this podcast that airs every other Tuesday, where each episode I chat with real women about real life and the God who meets us right where we are. So whether you're listening from the carpool line, from your desk, at a sink full of dishes, or maybe you're out for a run in this chilly weather, I'm just honored to have you joining me. And though I'm personally partnered with Life Church, it doesn't matter if you're a part of another church across the city or globe, or maybe you're not even sure what you believe, but curious about what goes on at this table, just know you are welcome and wanted in this highly imperfect space. And today's not only a new day, but a new year. I guess it's that time when everyone reevaluates their life. Some want to be healthier, more organized, maybe lose a few pounds, or finally start digging up and pursuing those big dreams and goals, all of which are great things. But one of the best things we can do is kick off the year with the right perspective. One of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. This new year, I don't want to settle for mud pies when oceans of infinite joy are available. I don't want to settle for wasting our lives when God has given us a timeless purpose and mission. But the problem is we often get things backwards. We're looking for the little bells and whistles and toys of this world to satisfy us, and they just won't. What we need is a shift in perspective. In Psalms 90, 12, Moses said, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Another version says, Teach us to recognize the brevity of life. But how can remembering that life is short give us wisdom? It's because it nudges us to cling to what will last forever when everything else fades away. It urges us to be anchored to eternity, not circumstance, and to maximize the days we've been given. Well, as we talk about the new year, there's also something else new going on today. Typically, I am the interviewer during these conversations, but today the table has turned. I have several stubborn friends who've been hounding me ever since the launch of this podcast to be interviewed myself, and so I've finally given in for the first episode of 2018. The beautiful and amazing Latanya Pratt, who was my guinea pig for episode number one, is here today asking me questions and getting her revenge, but she'll make it fun because that's just who she is. So wherever you are right now, grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. Jen! Hello. I am so excited that you're on the other side of the messy table today. (laughs) I am relaxing. I know you are. It's payback, isn't it? Oh, and it feels so good. It's glorious. You guys, she's holding a stiletto to my head, so. Basically, you have to do this. I literally don't know how many people that I see on a day-to-day that they're like, I love the messy table, but who is Jen? I want to know who Jen is. And so today I get to introduce one of my very best friends to the world. I'm so humbled that I get to do this. I remember the day before I had baby crew sitting in your car and you're saying, I'm going to do something. I don't know if it's going to be vlog, but I want to reach women and I'm honored to see you be obedient and consistent and do this day in and day out. So thanks for letting me be alongside you. Are you kidding me? Thanks for letting me be alongside of you. Well, as I say, I'm introducing the world to Jen. Who is Jen? 
Um, let's see. So I have been married to my best friend for coming up on 12 years. We have two sweet and very spicy kiddos. Hallie is eight. Jack is five. My husband, Derek, is the campus pastor at our Life Church South Broken Arrow location here in the Tulsa area. And we say it all the time, but it's not a job for us. It's a calling. And um, for us, it's also a family calling. So I love jumping into ministry with him whenever I can. I'm also constantly wrangling and chauffeuring kids and just making life happen. And then I do some writing for various ministries. I host this fun podcast, obviously, The Messy Table. And that's pretty much me in a nutshell, I guess. Um, So you spoke a lot about church. Right now you're wrangling children, doing The Messy Table. But before that, you worked at your church, right? I did. So I was actually in ministry first before my husband on staff for a few years at our Life Church South Tulsa location when it opened up. 10 years ago this month, which is crazy. You're my host team pastor. Because it feels like it was just yesterday, but then also a really long time ago. Kind of crazy. And then I stepped down to raise our babies when they were born. And that was a hard decision simply because I loved my job, but I knew God was calling me to be a full-time mom in that season and that he would provide in unexpected ways, which he totally did. My husband, on the other hand, was in business, and he's just that go-getter, entrepreneur type, so there were always many logs on the fire, but it was really crazy how God compelled us both, first individually and then together, that a new season was coming, so we thought it might be ministry, but we weren't completely sure, so it was probably seven or eight years ago, I'd have to look back, we started kind of selling some businesses and getting things in order, and God just completely opened doors that we didn't even realize were there, and now I can't imagine him doing anything other than what he does. So it's really been a blessing. We've had the privilege of being a part of launching a handful of campuses here in the Tulsa area, um, which really has just been a front row seat to witness all that God has done. Make no mistake, it's all God down to the details. And I could tell you story after story and really he's just allowed us to be a part. So our prayer is that God will continue to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine through the Capital C Church, not just Life Church, not just the American Church, but through the global church, through the body of Christ, through a global effort to translate the Bible into unknown languages that are left, through the Bible app, through so many imperfect people and imperfect local and global churches as the gospel is carried literally across the globe to the ends of the earth. It's just an honor to even have a small place at that table. Okay, amen, Pastor Jewel, okay? So it sounds like you're just sitting around the house twiddling your thumbs when you're not doing that. How do you manage everything, school, messy table, being a wife of a pastor at a large local church? It's just like everyone else that comes on the messy table. We don't do it. I don't do it all well. Like It's a constant juggling act and... In this season right now, we're in a pretty sweet season where our kids are still somewhat young, but they sleep through the night and they wipe themselves and they shower Mm. by themselves. Praise Jesus. So moms of littles out there, as they say, the days are long, but the years are short. So my advice is invest in a good coffee maker, a good Bible, and at least a few really good friends that you can be real with. So, um, and that really goes for any season of life because once you get one figured out or you think you get one figured out, it changes and then you're back clueless not knowing what to do at the drawing board at the feet of Jesus. So um, being a parent is definitely the hardest thing I've ever loved. That takes up a good portion of my time. And then just, again, try to every day ask God, what's priority today? What do I need to give you first today? So 
That's exactly parenting in a nutshell. I'm sure God feels that way about us because oh. he loves us, but we are a hot mess. That is so true. I almost like feel like crying thinking about that. Like, yes, that's exactly how he feels about me. Well, I think of you as always just upbeat and positive. I can't even think of a time you've ever been mad. Like we're literally yin and yang, I guess. Like it's, oh great. And I'm like, girl, mm-mm, that's a mess. So I want to know what is a pet peeve? True. Like what is your pet peeve? What bothers you? I don't think that's true. Um, okay. So I think I've referenced this before, but probably my greatest pet peeve in the world is when I go to the gym and at my particular gym, there are quite a few, um, cardio machines. And so say I'm on the elliptical and there's six ellipticals open next to me. If someone comes and gets on the one right next to me, I just want to look them in the face and say, leave room for the Holy Spirit. Like, I do not understand. Um, Now, if it were you, if it were a friend, that's great. And I know that this is probably so opposite of um, what Jesus would want me to do. But I'm just like, your headphones are in. We're clearly not talking. Why can I smell your sweat? I don't understand. Um, And then another one I would say is small water cups at restaurants. Yes. What in the world? Yes. Why am I being penalized for being healthy and ordering water? I mean, I know why. It's all about the dollar. I'm not ordering a Coke for five bucks. Cokes probably aren't five bucks. (laughs) You know what I mean? It feels like it. That's a good pet peeve. You have to go back. I mean, you literally can take two drinks and then you have to be back at the water fountain. That's a good pet peeve. I've never thought about that one. That's a good one. So this is the messy table. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've experienced some mess in your life. When you think back to a time that life got really messy, really difficult, but still you experienced God through it, what, what did that look like? I mean, as you know, life is full of ups and downs and messes constantly. But I think the one experience I feel compelled to share with you today is... First, I need to back up a little. So I grew up in an extremely close family. Not only my immediate family, but grandparents, cousins were like siblings. Um, Aunts and uncles were almost like second parents. And my cousin Justin and I were born exactly three months apart, two months apart, sorry, May 3rd and March 3rd. So I have honestly very few early memories without him in them. And we just grew up together, did life together. We lived in the same town, went to the same school, same church, had the same family, same friends. So needless to say, we were really close and thankfully we liked each other too. So (laughs) that would have been difficult. So Justin was just one of those guys who kind of made you sick because he was so well-rounded and great at everything. He was a ridiculously good athlete named player of the year in the state of Oklahoma, his senior year for baseball. He was also our valedictorian and had plans to be a heart surgeon. He was ornery and hilarious and a loyal friend, um, but he loved God and he loved people. He was known for staying up late on away baseball tournaments, reading his Bible, sharing Jesus with his teammates. And my Aunt Julianne had given him a devotional journal. In his entire senior year, he didn't miss one day. Like, what teenager does that? Not normal. So the summer between high school and college, June 2002, he'd been named player of the year in the state and was all over the front page of the paper. And I was actually leaving town that day. So I called him to give him a hard time about being famous because that's what you do. And um, that was, sorry, the last conversation I had with him. I'm sorry. So my friend Sarah and I flew to Georgia to visit some family friends, and we actually went into Tennessee to go backpacking and rock climbing and white rider rafting. But coming into evening on that first day, a group of firefighters actually found us in the middle of the woods. I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere, no bathrooms, no Wi-Fi, nothing. So I'll never forget the moment. 
they were talking to the dad of the family we were with, John, under kind of a big, large tree. And when he turned around, his eyes searched for mine. And he said Justin was gone. He'd been killed in a car wreck that wasn't his fault. And at the time, we weren't sure if our friends who had been with them, Josh and Elizabeth, were alive. And so we all kind of got in the dirt, even the firemen, and just prayed for their safety. And thankfully, they really didn't have a scratch. But I remember dropping my backpack and running into the woods and just bawling my eyes out in the dirt for what seemed like forever. And then I stood up and had this very clear um, memory that's hard to explain, but I stood up in this clearing, the sun streaming through these tall trees all around me, and I remember whispering, Goner, are you still there? And I didn't hear anything audible, but as real as anything I've ever known, something in my spirit whispered back, I'm still here and I won't leave you. And, you know, there's just something about death that wakes you up, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I don't even know how, but by God's strength, I actually spoke at his funeral and finished off the summer. Right after that, I was whisked off to college at OSU, living on my own for the first time, busy with studying and OSU cheer and traveling with the team and all the while dealing with my own grief. Um, and God was so faithful to put people in my life at that time, like Whitney and just some mentors, Dave and Tony Martin, Tracy and Dan Whitwer, who I can't imagine going through that season without them right there. And also just some incredible people like my pastor, Chris and Robin Wall back at home and, and other mentors from home. Um, and obviously my family. So my degree is in journalism and broadcasting, but I actually minored in world religion. And though I was a Christian wrestling through this pain, I was up at the library researching Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, and nothing against the people of those religions, but God used that season of my life um, just in a time of really deep pain to see the emptiness of works-based religions and really to drive a deep passion into my soul for the things of God and for others to know His grace and love. And so that led me into digging into even more history, archaeology, um, biblical prophecies, just so many things. I mean, you look around at the world where right now we're standing on a giant ball that's hanging in the middle of a massive universe. If we were closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were further away, we'd freeze. You know, you just think of the human body, you think of nature, you think of all these intricate details. And I think it's Lee Strobel that says it would have taken more faith for him to stay an atheist than to become a Christian. Long story short... We all have to decide what do you do with Jesus. No serious historian disputes the existence of him. And like C.S. Lewis calls the great trilemma, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And we all get to choose um, what we believe about him. So anyway, yeah, life is hard. Death is hard. When tragedy strikes, we feel completely hopeless. Sydney, Justin's little sister, who's basically my little sister, and I always say you don't get over death. We've never gotten over it, ever. We miss Justin every single day. I wish he was here. I wish he knew my kids. Um, I wish he knew Derek. There's a hole in the world that no one can fill. There's an empty seat at the table, right? You don't get over it, but you can get through it by trusting God every single day. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that's what we cling to. 
First Thessalonians four thirteen through 14 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And so all this kind of in summary just really taught me the importance of what matters and that life is not forever, but eternity is. And the death rate in the world is 100%. You will die. I will die. And I know this sounds so like Debbie Downer, (laughs) but we're going to die. It's the truth. And so um, God warned Adam and Eve in the garden, you can have anything. Everything I have is yours. But if you eat from the one tree I've commanded you not to eat, you will die. But Satan argued, did God really say that? You won't die. And at first, it almost seems like he was right. They didn't die immediately. It wasn't immediate death, but still horrific, tragic death entered the perfect world, which is really the worst thing any of us can fathom. And it's the result of sin, both physical death and spiritual death. And the rest of the world, we have been born into a serious problem. So obviously, Jesus lived the perfect life. We couldn't die the death that we should have died. And that's our hope. Jesus is our hope. This is true, like Latanya and Jen fashion. Like we start cutting up and then we go deep so quick. And I am literally sitting here in tears. Like this is not the first time I've heard this, but it's a constant reminder of time is precious. And we were put on this earth for a purpose. Just going back to where the earth is located, we are here for a purpose. Whenever I think about death or going through messy times, I always think about Psalms 126 and 5. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return the harvest. And I think about that because God's not going to waste our tears. So as we're sowing, as we're sowing our tears, it's watering the seed. And we are going to reap joy because we have a hope. Like there is a hope and that hope is Jesus. And it's so sad and it breaks my heart that there are people out there that are going through this and they'll never, they'll never realize like they could have a comfort while they're here on this place that's not our home. And I think you learned that at such a young age. And I think we see that in the fruit of how you've lived your life. Like, tell me about how you went through college and how has this affected how you live right now and raise your children? I think it affects everything. You know, I keep a note from Justin in my Bible. And it just reminds me that really there are only two things that matter, only two things that are eternal, God and people, God and the souls of mankind. Um, Those are the only things that will last. And so my kids, my friends, my family, my church, the word of God, like those are things worth investing in. You know, we have to live with urgency. We can't believe this casually and we can't stay silent, even though so often I'm tempted to. Even today, I was so nervous. Um, you know, I'm not as nervous on the other side of interviewing people, but for some reason I was today. And But no, I, I will not be ashamed of the gospel. This is our hope. This story is a, is a real reminder. And then life is full of ups and downs. Actually, right now, we just received some Um, not great news from another family member close to us who is going through another battle and we're fighting with them. And, you know, it's just life is not easy. And we're so often distracted with the bells and whistles of life and comfort. I think living in America, the American dream, like we're tempted to just run after that with all of our heart. 
and it's just empty. So um, I have a few verses here that I scribbled down that I would like to read um, that kind of comforted me. Verses like John 11, 25 through 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Jesus also said in Luke 20, 37 through 38, but now as to whether the dead will be raised, even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, he referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead, for they are all alive to him. And I just love that. Um, Paul said, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sake, it is better that I continue to live. Philippians 3, we are citizens of heaven, not of earth. Colossians 3, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died in this life and your new life is hidden with Christ. Hebrews 13, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Paul says in Corinthians 5, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on heavenly bodies like new clothing for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared this for us. As a guarantee, he has given us his spirit. At the transfiguration, Jesus appears on the mountain with Moses and Elijah in transformed, glorified bodies, a glimpse into what will be. And Peter and James and John immediately recognize them. Although they'd never met, there's no names, no background check, no introductions were necessary. And I just love that thinking about um, just how we'll know each other in heaven and how, you know, we're not going to be floating on a cloud playing a harp. We're going to have bodies. We're going to know each other. In Revelation 6, there's a vision of the end times, the souls of those who are martyred in the Great Tribulation, um, wearing white robes, longing for God to judge the world, avenge their blood, and get this party started. So they know who they are, where they are, what's happened to them. And like many of us, they are waiting for the day their Savior will publicly take back his rightful position as king. I know that's like a million verses. I have one more. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And in Deuteronomy 30, God says, Today I have given you a choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. So you obviously know all about this. You've lost both your parents. I think that's why I'm sitting here crying, listening to you, because it's so crazy how we both in two separate times of life have dealt with the same things. But most importantly, we've been able to see how God has used it. How have you witnessed God using Justin's life? Hmm. Well, other than my own life being severely impacted, um, 
so growing up, our youth pastor, Chris Wall, who he's now the senior pastor at First Baptist Owasso, just an incredible family. He actually felt compelled to write a book inspired by Justin's life, kind of by his journal. It's called A Life Worth Following, A 40-Day Journey with God Leading You to Build a Life That is Truly Worth Following. So yeah, he takes quotes and journals from Justin that he's written. And so you study the Bible focusing on the first two chapters in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Really, it just helps you learn through Bible study, prayer, meditation, spending time with the giant, which is encountering spiritual giants of the faith, um, one of which is Justin Sullivan. It's really an amazing resource, and we're thankful just that Chris took the time and resources and energy to write this book. Um, And then also a nonprofit organization was kind of birthed a life worth following paired with an ambassador's baseball team, which is an elite summer baseball team that's comprised of upcoming high school seniors or recent graduates. And the goal is to help these young men develop spiritually and then also to be exposed to some major league scouts as they're kind of moving to the next level in their baseball career. And they also take international mission trips to like Nicaragua, and they have seen hundreds and hundreds of kids give their life to Christ through these international camps where they play baseball, share the gospel, tell Justin's story. It's, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. I couldn't imagine being his mother. Oh my gosh. My Aunt Julianne is truly one of the strongest women I know. Between Justin and Sydney, she and my Uncle Dave also lost another child named Tyler. He was a baby that only lived for a couple of hours, but man, they have been through so much. And you know what she keeps saying to me over and over? I mean, obviously there's a ton of things, but we don't always understand it, but we're going to keep trusting God. And I mean, she'll be the first to tell you this is horrible and awful and just excruciating pain you wouldn't want anyone else to go through. But we're going to keep trusting God and we put our hope in Him. I mean, that's really the anthem that she keeps kind of pounding. So she and your uncle sound like amazing people. I couldn't even, I couldn't even imagine. I feel that the Bible consistently says, like, you will know people by their fruit. And your fruit shows that, like, your life is a living example of how you have taken God's word and you have believed it and you've hid it in your heart and you walk in that daily. So when I think about how you are obedient and consistent, I think about this ministry that you have, The Messy Table. I have gone through a rough year this year. And every single person has brought a different perspective and a different message. And I kind of want to know, like, what made you start The Messy Table? How did you get around to truly committing to doing it? Well, you're sweet. And honestly, I just kind of, I really laugh because it's nothing I've done. Like, it's just those baby steps of following God. Probably two years ago, God put the idea in my head to use real life and real stories to point people back to God, also to encourage and champion women instead of comparing and competing, and just to highlight ordinary women who've been transformed by Jesus to glorify God and unify the church at large. So the idea actually came in a book form at first. Like I thought, God, are you calling me to write a book? Um, I realized it's really hard for me to tell someone else's story. You know, there's emotions. You need that person's voice. 
Revelation 12.10 actually talks about how we defeat Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of our testimony. And every single person has a story, whether it's big or whether it's small. Most people feel like their story is either too far out there that they shouldn't tell it, or it's too dull or too boring or not good enough. And I've found that as I've talked to people. But everyone has a story or lots of stories throughout a lifetime, and we have to share them. We have to tell them. So then a podcast came to mind, which sounded great, but I didn't think I was the best person to host it. However, God kept bringing it up, kept bringing it up, and I would say, not me, God. Who am I to do something like this? Um, I'm definitely not the best for the job. I'm not as equipped as I'd like to be. And just as he responded to Moses when he felt unqualified and inadequate, he just pointed back to himself. He said, I am. I am more than enough. So over time, this idea became so strong that I couldn't ignore it. Honestly, it felt like disobedience if I ignored it. And I knew it wasn't Satan asking me to glorify God, champion women, and unify the church. So honestly, I just stepped into it with really shaky legs. I was up in the middle of the night watching YouTube videos about how to start a podcast because I am not a tech guru at all. And honestly, it just felt a little silly. I know I told you so many times it felt kind of embarrassing to put yourself out there, not knowing what would happen. But ultimately, I knew it was about him and not about me. And now we're 20 plus episodes in, and it's really just been a privilege to walk alongside of these amazing women like yourself as they share their messy stories and recall God's faithfulness, which in turn inspires me and reminds me what really matters most in the long run. So I love it. So how did you come up with the name, The Messy Table? Mm -hmm. So the ironic thing about naming this podcast The Messy Table is that I'd probably consider myself a recovering perfectionist. I like things to be orderly. I like to be in control. But I've learned over time that it's not only unrealistic, it's also a recipe for just endless frustration. And if we box ourselves into the lie that things must be or will be perfect, then we're going to completely miss out um, on the beauty of life and so much of that is found in the mess. So for example, when Hallie was a toddler, I found myself going just completely insane. (laughs) They say that trying to clean with a toddler is like brushing your teeth while eating Oreos. And I wholeheartedly (laughs) agree with that. It's pointless. But I got to a point where I realized this pursuit of perfection was stealing every ounce of my joy. And I wasn't okay with that either. So that's when the shift happened for me, um, embracing the mess And the God who is at work in our mess is pivotal for accepting that grace and uncovering, honestly, true joy. And the table is just where I practically see this playing out over coffee, at home, over dinner, while doing homework. Both the good stuff and the hard stuff is found at the table where we kind of share our imperfect lives. Jesus was constantly in the trenches with people at a table. So that's where I landed. I am so excited and honored that I get to be on the behind the scenes of the messy table. I literally get to be your biggest cheerleader. You are. And I don't, I literally would not be doing this without you. It's so, I'm honored. I just, I I look at you and I see you finding people and getting people to share their stories, which it's kind of hard because everyone will say that initial yes, but when it gets down to the nitty gritty, it's hard to sit here and be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and know that it's going to be on Facebook. You know, all of our messy table will be on Facebook. And I see you editing and learning about technology and making sure that this ministry is the best thing that can be put out. And that's exactly what this is for you. This is a ministry. This isn't just a fun hobby. This is a ministry. And one thing I don't think people know 
is that this is free. You're not monetizing this by any way. And it was a choice that you made. I remember you saying, this is a choice. Why did you choose to do that? Uh, Yeah. So my husband and I felt compelled to not monetize the podcast, although there's nothing wrong with someone running a podcast who does that. Um, But for us, you won't see or hear any ads on this podcast. Like you said, we do view it as a ministry. And so, yeah, that's just our heart. You know, one of our core values at church is we will lead the way with irrational generosity. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And we really agree with that and value that. The Bible app that Life Church had the privilege of getting to kind of turn into an actual app, obviously didn't produce the Bible, but, but the app, they could have easily chosen to charge 99 cents or $1.99 or whatnot, but instead chose to give it away for free um, because this word is not for sale. And Obviously, this isn't the Bible. I would never put myself on that level. But, you know, I I think that my mission is with that same heart of sharing the gospel and just using people's stories to point people to God. And so, anyway, that's just something that we decided to do. And so, yeah. So what is it that we could do to help you? I know that you're not monetizing this, but what can we do to help you? Because I want every woman across the world to be able to hear these stories. You're so sweet. I think as simple as just sharing, you know, share with a friend that's going through something, share on social media, spread the word. And then this is kind of awkward and I always hate asking, but where you subscribe in iTunes and yes, subscribe in iTunes. That's free. That's great. Um, but if you go in and leave a rating and review, it somehow bumps up the visibility to help others find it. So if anyone's able to help in that way, that actually really helps and is very much appreciated. I love it. So ladies, Facebook, share the post, Instagram, share the post, go onto iTunes right now and subscribe and leave a rating of five, a rating of five. (laughs) But if you don't think it's a five, you don't have to. Jen said that Latanya said, leave a rating of five. Oh, and another thing is that I actually just started with this new year, a Facebook and Instagram community, the Messy Table podcast. And so go and join that, share your own stories, um, encourage others. And and yeah, that's a fun thing that we're doing in this new year. I love it. So you'll get a little bit of sass from me and then you'll probably get some excitement and scripture from Jen. It'll be fantastic. (laughs) What's next? You've made it to over 20 episodes for the Messy Table. What do you have in the future? You know, I'm not sure. That's kind of the mystery of God. We're just kind of following him and stepping into whatever it is that he has for this. But I will say in the near future, we have a lot of exciting things coming up in 2018. So um, not only will we be hearing from more just incredible women, but we'll also be partnering some with my church, Life Church, and our women's ministry sisters. So you'll get to hear some more from Amy Groeschel, who's our senior pastor's wife. Actually, the next episode, um, she and I are partnering together and interviewing an amazing woman from our church who has just a radical story. Um, And so that's fun. And then there will also be some other incredible people that we'll be talking to inside the church from other churches. And so it's going to be really exciting. I'm looking forward to it. But no matter what, the mission is the same. Just like in Acts 14, people saw the boldness of Peter and John, ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, but they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And that's really the goal. We're not equipped on our own. We're not qualified on our own, but Jesus qualifies us. And so, yeah, I'm just looking forward to whatever he has for us in 2018. So tune in. I'm excited. I hope I still get to be a part of it sometimes, like Mm -hmm. pop in and pop out. Mm -hmm. I like it. 
So when I think of starting a podcast or doing anything big that God has called us to do, I feel like there's always that small voice in your head that's saying, oh, is this really what I should be doing? But I feel like you've taken this and just plowed through all of your insecurities. Are you a person that struggles with insecurities or are you naturally self-confident? Are you kidding me? I mean, you already know this answer, but I have a million insecurities just like most people do. As I said earlier, I believe speaking is not my top strength. I would actually prefer to write it down. Like my friend, Jerry Hurley, who's one of our directional leaders who guides the direction of our church. He says, I'm not the best for this job. I just got here first. And that's (laughs) how I feel. I'm not the best person to host this podcast, but I did feel compelled by God and am stepping into his strength in my weakness. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, we are like fragile jars of clay carrying this message of hope. The power of this message is from God, not from ourselves. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. So that's, I think, where I am. I think I'm super weak. I get super scared and fearful. I think of the worst case scenario. Um, But I can't and we can't stay silent in our own securities simply because of comfort. You know, that's really idolatry, placing our own comfort above God. So my kids and I have been talking about this verse this week due to some different just circumstances in our life. But we've been saying, I am weak, but God is strong. I am weak and God is strong. Actually, I've been saying it a lot. (laughs) Um, But then I overheard Jack in his room yesterday saying, I am weak, but God is strong. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're actually hearing what I'm saying. Just like Romans 3.10 says, no one is righteous, not even one, and I can be the chief of sinners. You know, it's just a constant struggle to come before God every day and say, I must become less, you must become more, and it's, it's not easy, and I don't always do it well, so... Also, this sounds pretty silly, but for a long time, I was insecure about my own salvation story. So I was very um, blessed to grow up with a really rich heritage from God. My parents and grandparents and great-grandparents all loved Jesus, and I learned the true gospel from an early age. My parents weren't perfect. I'm definitely not claiming that they were, but I heard the truth. And honestly, when I was about seven, it clicked and I truly, like I still have memories of just putting my faith in him and starting to have a relationship with him, conversations with him. I I remember riding my bike into the sunset and, and talking to him and just feeling his kind of assurance and comfort. And so I'm so thankful for that. And I realize I'm kind of a spoiled brat to say that I didn't appreciate it for a long time. One time I was talking to a good friend of mine who actually didn't hear the name of Jesus until she was an adult and went through a lot. And um, she did not understand. Like, I don't understand how you can feel insecure about that. Like what I would have given to know the truth at a young age. And so I've just come to realize it's so God's grace. And I don't even deserve to have heard about this redemption I was actually just talking to a girl at church recently who's been in and out of drugs, in and out of homelessness, in and out of unhealthy relationships. And just the other day, she said, I'm sick of this. I can't do it on my own. And honestly, if you have a story like hers or more of a boring, quote unquote, story like mine, we all come to a point where we have to say that I can't do it on my own. No story is too bad or too boring. If you were selling your body from a street corner, his grace is all you need. If you grew up in a strict, superficial religious environment, you can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. If you heard the gospel early in life and believed it just like I did, I promise you your faith will be tested and refined and evolve into a deeper love and knowledge for what Jesus has done. But it is still enough. You know, we all have different stories. 
being too bad doesn't discount you and being good, going through religious motions cannot save you. Only Jesus, only God. And so, yeah. I think that you've learned so much at a young age that kind of helped you get through the messy part because that was also experienced at a young age. And so it's just God meets us where we are and where we need him. And I think that's definitely something um, you can attest to just going through what you experienced with your cousin. And I think, as I shared earlier, taking some of those college courses where I'm studying all the religions of the world, you know, I think that helped even just solidify my faith and where I stood, which of course we all come to a point where it's our own faith. It's not our parents' faith. We have to take a look around at the evidence and and what we truly believe and decide for ourselves. Uh, I just finished a book, Jesus the King. And I tell you, I have been in church all my life, but it's so refreshing to be reminded that We serve and follow a God who, like you said, our works can't get us to heaven. Mm -hmm. He just loved us so very much. And that's why we get to experience, you said, the redemption. Um, I guess, what else are you learning in your quiet time or your time with God right now? One thing God has kind of been correcting in my heart lately, so a couple years ago, I found myself when I would tell somebody that I would pray for them. I would always try to do that, but I would find that I would forget. And so I (laughs) started, God just really convicted me of that. And so I started just deciding I'm going to pray right then and there for that person. And then of course, if I remember and pray again later, great. But God lately has kind of been taking that to another level for me. So when I pray for someone, I've started to find that there are times that I would rather pray for someone than be the answer to my own prayer for that person. I don't know if that makes sense. Like say someone has a financial need and absolutely we should always pray. I'm not saying let's not pray. Absolutely. But what if I can meet that financial need, but yet it can almost be a cop out. Like I'll pray for you versus actually how can I help? Or with time or with, I mean, there's so many examples, but I just found that sometimes I was taking the easy way out instead of stepping into that sacrifice and obedience that he calls us to and kind of dying to ourselves. And so that's something that he's been really just working on my heart in this season. Oh, that's a big one. I remember sitting in service and Pastor Craig said, it's not about you. The story is not about you. And I remember how you'll pray for someone and it'll be quick to say, well, this isn't about me. But it's like, yeah, you could babysit that child, even though you have 90 other kids at your house going crazy. The time, I think that's a good one. This is kind of nerdy, but I've kind of been studying church history a lot lately. And this past fall marked the 500th anniversary of the start of the Reformation, where Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the door. And I've just been studying when the church first exploded right after Jesus' death and resurrection, right? And it went into a time of great persecution. All of Jesus' followers were basically killed. And the reason why they were willing to be killed is because they had seen something. They had experienced something. And um, that's kind of when Christianity exploded. Well, then in 300 AD, the Roman emperor at that time, Constantine, supposedly converted and became a Christian. But this experience kind of flipped the religious switch to where suddenly it was cool to be a Christian and it became the state religion. And so the Roman Catholic Church era was kind of born. And so obviously you had a lot of genuine believers, but you also had priests and government officials were one. And it kind of became a powerhouse thing. And then the Reformation happened. All that to say, Our message will never change, but our methods always will. And our message is grounded in the creator, God sending his son Jesus to live and die and resurrect just to save us. So 
our methods in different cultures, different cities, different time periods will look different, but we always have to come back to scripture. The gospels are those early accounts of what happened. And um, anyway, that's something that God's been kind of showing me lately. I like it. You're passionate. You're the hottest nerd I've ever met. What? So I like it. You're passionate. <laughs> oh man, I'm going to make a t-shirt for myself. <laughs> yeah. Hottest nerd I've ever known. Maybe I'll sleep in it. Yeah. Derek would love that. So tell me what else, what else do you like? What do you like to listen to? What have you listened to in the past that you would recommend for me to, to look into? Okay. Like resources? Yes. So I have quite a few. For kids and families, obviously the Kids Bible app is a great free tool. Um, We love the Jesus Storybook Bible at our house. It just points every story in the Bible kind of back to the coming king. Superbook, if you don't know about Superbook, you need to know about Superbook. So Superbook is a show that's very accurate, and my kids love it. Superbook? Superbook. Is it on Netflix or something? So I don't, it might be. We don't have Netflix, so I don't actually know. But um, there is a free app where you can watch some of the shows, and then some of the shows are also free on Amazon. Um, And then someone had given us some, but they are amazing. My kids love them. And so, you know, sometimes on a school night, they want to watch a show, and I'm like, well, you can watch Superbook, and then it's two birds with one stone. They're basically getting a Bible story. Um, we also love Chronicles of Narnia. So the kids and I have been, and Derek, Derek's there too. <laughs> Tell me to leave him out. Um, we have been reading through the books for a while. We're on book four, The Silver Chair, and then we usually watch the movie. After. Oh, nice. Yeah, but there's only three movies. So my kids are like, what? There's not a movie for this one? And they're producing one right now. So I'm like, in two years, guys, we can watch it. Um, And then for adults, obviously the free Bible app, if you don't have that on your phone, I don't know where you've been living under a rock, but it's great. The Bible Project videos are awesome. It summarizes themes and books of the Bible in understandable ways, so I would highly recommend those. And then, you know, there's so many resources I could give. I feel like every woman I have on, I'm like, yes, 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 those are all good. So instead of giving resources I've kind of come down to finding people that I trust. So obviously we love Craig Rochelle. He's my pastor and love everything that he writes or comes up with. And then Jenny Allen, she wrote a book called Anything that kind of rocked my world quite a few years ago. David Platt is awesome. Andy Stanley, Matt Chandler. There's so many people that I could list. Um, And then some of my kind of older heroes are people like C.S. Lewis, Elizabeth Elliott, And then as far as podcasts, there's so many good ones. Most of them have already been mentioned on other podcasts, so you just need to go back and listen. But I love Let My People Think by Ravi Zacharias. He's a Christian apologist and is just brilliant. Um, Risen Motherhood is a great one, taking specific topics on parenting and looking at it through the lens of creation, fall, redemption. And David Platt does this thing once a year called Secret Church. Um, Whenever he was over, I think he was in Asia, they would meet in the middle of the night, people who would get killed for hearing the gospel. And so they would meet all night and have this thing called Secret Church um, and literally just take it like a fire hydrant, just go through as much scripture as they could. And so when he came back, they started doing that just here. Um, anyway, there's a bunch online. I can post them in the conversation notes, but they are really good. And so we're kind of into that right now, but there's so many resources. I can't probably list them all. I'm sorry if I left somebody out. You left my book out. I know. I'm sorry. No, I don't have a book. The Latonia Pratt book of life. Well, Jen, I am so excited that you decided to listen to the cries of the people and let us know who you really are and be vulnerable with us. Every time I speak to you, I leave feeling refreshed. I learned something and this time is no different. So 
If there was one thing that you could leave us with, what would it be? One thing. That's always so hard. Okay. Have you ever walked into a room where someone's watching a movie, but it's already halfway over? I have, and I get upset. So you have lots of questions. It's confusing. Nothing makes sense. And you just really want to start the movie over, right? Well, we have stepped onto the scene and into an ongoing story that's been playing out for thousands and thousands of years since the beginning of time, actually. God made this world and everything in it, but we messed it up, and God has sent his son Jesus to make it right again. That's the story of God. That's the story of the Bible, and we get to play a supporting role, but we often kind of open up the Bible, and we're viewing it through a lens of us being the main character. How can God help me? What can God do for me? And while we are loved more than we can even begin to fathom, we are not the point. And while we are not the point, this is our legacy. And so I think I just want people to know that like, this is available to you. This is your legacy. This is your inheritance, which is almost hard for us to even fathom. But this good news of the gospel is for all of us. If we will accept it and Jesus has commissioned us to be the vessels in which it's unleashed onto the world. So we can trust God even when it's messy. Um, When my son Jack was young and had a string of scary seizures, that was an opportunity to trust God. When the pain of a broken friendship was more than I can handle, another opportunity to trust God. When the everyday mundane routine kind of leaves us feeling numb and overwhelmed, another opportunity. And even today, our family's facing things and issues that don't make sense, and I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I can remind myself even right now that today is another opportunity to trust God. So the story of the Bible, it's your story too. It's your legacy. And I pray that you would just trust him. Oh, that is perfect. Great way to end. Thank you, Jen. I love you. I love you more. Thanks for interviewing me, even though no problem. it was against my will. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for bearing with us as I shared some of my heart and passion behind the messy table. Remember, you can subscribe for free with one click in iTunes, and you can join my email list at gingel.com and get each new episode delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow the Messy Table podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. So go and join those communities. And then I want to leave you with a quote from my cousin, Justin, something he scribbled down in his journal all those years ago. He wrote, there will come a day when we all see God face to face. This is when we will understand things fully. When God asks me to believe something that's beyond belief, I decide if I will trust my five senses or have enough sense to believe in him. So guys, let's not spend our lives or this year on things that won't last, but cling to what's permanent. Let's live with eternity in mind and let's begin again today.